This message first aired on the radio on November 4, 2003. We're talking about the dispensations of God. We've been studying the Word of God together on the air for about five months now. And uh, in that time, every night, uh, every weekday night, uh, during drive time here from 5 to 6, we've been uh, looking at the dis- dispensations of God. And for the at least half of that time, we've been looking at this fifth dispensation, the dispensation of law. And uh, I have to say we're in a pretty exciting portion of it, because as God put his people into captivity, he wound up the clock and started up the time of the Gentiles. And uh, therefore, uh, we have the introduction of the time of the Gentiles, which is not by itself a dispensation, at least as as I would call it, but uh, you might say it is if you care to. That's all right. Uh, It's all right with me if you divide the Scripture properly and you at least categorize things that differ uh, unto themselves and categorize things that are the same together. But in this dispensation of the law, the final portion before God set aside Israel as a nation to deal with, he stuck them into captivity, uh, and the captivity took the form of servitudes. And uh, the servitude in Babylon uh, was a particular time. It was about 70 years. In fact, it was exactly 70 years. And uh, Jeremiah the prophet wrote about that time, and Daniel the prophet read Jeremiah the prophet, and when he came, and he came to the conclusion, uh, reading the words of the prophecy of Jeremiah, that the 70 years of the servitude of the children of Israel uh, was over with, and he prayed uh, accordingly uh, to God, that it's time for you to move, and it's time for you to uh, bring the uh, the 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 uh, desolations to a close, the desolations of Jerusalem to a close, and it's time uh, for you to uh, move Jerusalem uh, back into your habitation, and uh, we find that in in Daniel chapter nine, and it tells us. It was in the first year of Darius, the son of the Ahasuerus, of the seed of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. So this is now while Daniel uh, is yet 87. It's uh, This is the year following the portion of the year that was the third year of, Belteshaz, of Belshazzar. And uh, prior to this now, and we want to prophetically try to keep up with what God is doing uh, while the children of Israel are in captivity. But largely what God is doing, he's doing in the courts of the kings of the Gentiles, whether it's with Mordecai, who was in the court of the Persian king Astyages before uh, his general uh, and his son came in and took the the, the Babylonian kingdom, or whether it was through Daniel in the court of Nebuchadnezzar, and now Daniel, senior member of the court of uh, Astyages the Persian, or whether it was with uh, the prophetic teaching of Ezekiel and Jeremiah, uh, Jeremiah with the 
uh, with those of Judah who escaped to Egypt and then were taken captive by uh, uh, the Babylonians anyway, uh, but yet in Egypt. Uh, God is moving prophetically in the courts of the Gentiles, and uh, largely or centrally uh, during this period of time, we find uh, Daniel, we find Mordecai in the book of Esther, and we find Nehemiah, uh, who becomes the cupbearer, uh, both to uh, Astyages and to uh, Cyrus. And so, uh, really, these things are happening in the Gentile courts as God has appointed uh, the times of the Gentiles. And uh, yet, yet the Word of God is still coming through his through his nation Israel, as the Word of God has always come. And now, uh, Daniel, uh, who was the, uh, we might say he was the chancellor uh, of the College of the Chaldeans, the dean of faculty in ancient Babylon, has become the prime minister of the kingdom of the Persians. And uh, prior to that time, uh, he received visions uh, which taught him about the course of Gentile world power uh, in the uh, prior to the time of the coming of uh, Astyages uh, or and Cyrus the Persians in the first year of Belshazzar king of Babylon. We have Daniel chapter seven, where Daniel had a dream. Uh, and visions upon uh, visions of his head upon his bed. Then he wrote the dream and told the sum of the matters. And what he wrote down and what he told, we have. Daniel spoke and said, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, four winds of heaven strove upon the great sea. This is the vision of Daniel 7. And four beasts came up from the sea, diverse from uh, one from another. Now this is a vision that he had concerning a time to come. And I want to point out to you uh, that uh, in the vision he sees uh, the four winds of heaven striving upon the Mediterranean Sea, known as the Great Sea. Four beasts came up uh, from the sea, diverse one from another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I beheld till the wings thereof were plucked, and it was lifted up from the earth and made stand upon the feet as a man, and a man's heart was given to it. Now, some commentators, uh, 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 some Bible commentators, um, uh, exegetes, Bible teachers, see in that picture the the kingdom of Babylon, and they just see these four beasts as representing four kingdoms, uh, which correspond to the image of Nebuchadnezzar that he dreamed. But there's nothing in the Scripture that says that, and because these are visions of the future, it doesn't seem to make sense that very deep, in fact, two years, uh, maybe two years plus from the very end of the kingdom of Babylon, that God would give uh, Daniel a prophetic vision of the rising up of Babylon. That doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. So I don't think that these uh, four beasts, these four great beasts, correspond uh, directly or even indirectly, uh, with the image of uh, Daniel's uh, of, of Nebuchadnezzar's dream that Daniel interpreted. Uh, that image is the one that prophesied the beginning and the end in the middle 
of Gentile wor world power. This seems to be relegated to a time of the end when four beasts come up from the Mediterranean, the first like a lion. And, and I want to say that this doesn't correspond to the Babylonian kingdom because in Babylon, uh, Nebuchadnezzar was the head of gold, and if you were to say it was a lion, it says, I beheld till the wings thereof were plucked, with eagle's wings, I beheld till the wings thereof were plucked, made to stand on the feet as a man, a man's heart was given to it. In fact, that's just the opposite of what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. A beast's heart was given uh, to uh, Nebuchadnezzar. But I do see this, these kingdoms, as something of the time of the end. Behold, another beast, a second like to a bear, raised itself up on one side. It had three ribs in the mouth of it, between the teeth of it. And they said unto it, Arise, devour much flesh. And after this I beheld, lo, another like a leopard, which had on the back of it four wings of a fowl. The beast also had four heads, and dominion was given unto it. And then, after this, I saw in night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, and strong exceedingly. It had great iron teeth, it devoured breaking pieces, and stamped the residue, that is, the other beasts, with the feet of it. It was diverse from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. And I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another little horn, before whom were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots, and behold, in this horn were the eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. And uh, it, it continues in verse 9, I beheld till the thrones were cast, the Ancient of Days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, the hair of his head like the pure wool, his throne was like fiery flame, and his wheels as a burning fire, and a fiery stream issued and came forth from him. Thousands, thousands ministered unto him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The judgment was set, and the books were open. Now, uh, <clears throat> here uh, we have a, a prophecy uh, for, for which Daniel wanted to know the meaning, and uh, he uh, especially was occupied with the, the truth of this fourth beast, which devoured everything. He said, I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit in the midst of my body. The visions of my head troubled me. I came near unto one of them that stood by and asked him the truth of all this. So he told me and made me to know the interpretation of these things. And here's what he was told by the one who stood by, uh, an angelic uh, uh, creature uh, who stood by. He said, these great beasts, which are four, are four kings which shall arise, or shall yet arise, out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. Daniel said, Then I would know the truth of the fourth beast was diverse from the others, and exceeding dreadful, whose teeth were of iron as nails of brass, which devoured break in pieces, and stamped the rest of them, or the residue, with his feet, and the ten horns that were in his head, and the other that came up before whom three fell, even of that horn that had eyes and a mouth that spake very great things, whose look was more stout than his fellows. I beheld, and the same horn made war with the saints and prevailed against them until the Ancient of Days came, and judgment was given to the saints of the Most High, and the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom. Thus he said, now the angelic uh, uh, one who stands by tells him, 
The fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon the earth, which will be diverse from all kingdoms. And so now we see uh, that Daniel learned about the time of the end. He didn't learn much about the time in between. Uh, he, he knew about the uh, Babylonian Empire. He knew that it was going to be uh, removed. He knew that the Persian Empire came in. He knew there would be a third one of brass coming in. And in Daniel chapter 8, he'll learn more specifically about that kingdom. And he'll, learn, he'll even learn in picture about Alexander the Great uh, coming to wipe out the Persian Empire in due course of time. He even learns and writes down uh, how long it's going to be in terms of successors to King Cyrus about that. But here he learns prophetically about the time of the end, that in the time of the end there will be four kingdoms that rise up. Not nations, but kingdoms. And uh, these are beasts. Uh, their characteristics are there. And four kings will rise up out of the earth in the Mediterranean, and they'll be recognizable according to this prophecy. These things have not happened yet. These things have not happened yet. But when they happen, they'll be evident, and they'll happen at the time of the end, and three of these beasts will just simply be, or three of these kings will be predecessors making the way for that final kingdom which will come up where the little horn or the man of sin will appear and bring uh, the great wrath of uh, Satan upon the earth, which will be ended with the wrath of God upon the earth. Well, I just cover that briefly because Daniel was instructed about matters that would occur at the time of the end. And Daniel was also instructed about matters that would occur between the time that he was the prime minister of uh, Persia and the time that the Persian Empire would end. And there we have Daniel chapter 8. Now, Daniel chapter 8, uh, a vision was given to Daniel in the third year of the reign of Belshazzar. And, of course, that's Belshazzar's last year. So we had his, first vi his other vision of uh, Daniel 7 in the first year of Belshazzar. A couple years later, another vision appears unto him after that which appeared to him in the first year, or at the first as he says in Daniel 8, uh, chapter 1. And he said in, in the vision, uh, it came to pass, which I saw uh, was uh, that I was at Shushan in the palace, which is in the province of Elam, and I saw in a vision, and I was by the river of Uli. Now this is uh, a, a vision of Daniel, during the reign of Belshazzar, where he sees himself not in Babylon, but in Shushan, which is uh, in the which was the then chief city of the Persians, and the Persians did not rule from Babylon. They took Babylon, they took the citadel of Babylon, but the Persians ruled from Shushan, and then then the Persians built a new a new capital and move their capital to Persepolis, and this is where Alexander the Great finally conquers them. Now, contrary to what many are, have taught, or at least what some have taught, the Persians did not rule from Babylon, though Alexander seemed to have moved his rulership into Babylon. Uh, and we know, uh, and it will happen, uh, we know from Jeremiah's prophecies that Babylon will be the... Uh, rebuilt, it will be the capital at the, of the world in the time of the end. It will certainly be 
let me put it this way, the leading city at the time of the end. It's very interesting, the times we live in today, where we see that our government is going to commit uh, $87 billion, uh, part of which will go to uh, Afghanistan. I suppose out of the $87.3 billion, it'll be about maybe, what, $230 will go to Afghanistan, and then the rest, uh, well, maybe maybe $400 uh, will go to Afghanistan, and then $87.299999 billion will be going into Iraq. Uh, and uh, some of that is bound to leak over into Halil, and Halil is the site of ancient Babylon. And you watch that, will you? I'm watching that as carefully as I can. Now Daniel is given, uh, from this distance, now Daniel is given a prophecy concerning the Greek Empire, which is going to, going to come into play, but it's a future prophecy for him. And this is the one that's so precise that people say it must not be a prophecy because it's so accurate. We'll get to that in just a minute after this announcement. So we have Daniel here either prophetically at Ulai or traveling to uh, by the river Ulai in Shushan, the province. Ulai, an interesting place. Uh, Ulai uh, here named for, uh, for the river of Persia. And uh, I, uh, it, it's uh, uh, near Susa, uh, where the capital, where the palace, Shushan, Shushan Palace is. Today it's called the Karun River, or so I understand. But Ulai is a term familiar, more familiar to me, because in Africa, uh, the English-speaking Africans tell me that they regard Europe as Ulai. Europe is regarded as Ulai to them. In fact, uh, when I learned about Mau Mau, uh, which was a, a rebel movement in East Africa, especially in Kenya, the Mau Mau movement in the late 50s, which, uh, <clears throat> the, which the Kenyans believe, for example, subsequently led to their independence from the British Empire in 1963, uh, they called the, the rebels called themselves Mau Mau. And uh, one of the things that the white people, known to be Wazungu, or Mzungu individually, Wazungu plural, uh, did not understand what Mau Mau meant. And in fact, uh, the rebels had various, various stories uh, about what it meant, uh, all false just about, so that the Wazungu, or the whites, uh, would uh, not understand it. Uh, and uh, they did very many uh, uh, psychological operations to confuse the British. And Mau Mau was one of them. But what Mau Mau meant, actually, and, uh, well, either I bought another lie or you heard it first right here, is Mau Mau meant Moafrique uh, Uhuru Apate, or give freedom to the Africans... Uh, or let the Africans have freedom, Mao, and the second Mao was Muzungu Arudi Ulai, or white man goes back to Europe, or Ulai. Well, maybe that's Mao Mao in Swahili. Um, it, it certainly makes a lot more sense than it was some sound of a strange bird or other stories that the British bought into 
at the time. But here's Ulai. And I want to tell you that Ulai, that Persia, is a central place, uh, uh, a very central place in Western civilization, even though today we don't even regard it as the West. The Persian Empire uh, was a very attractive and a very central empire. When it came to wealth creation, the Persian Empire made the Babylonian Empire uh, look like, uh, uh, well, I don't want to say it made it look like Nebraska against Texas. That would be, that would be a sad tale today, wouldn't it? But um, the, there, were, there was no comparison between the wealth-generating capabilities of the Persian and the Babylonian Empire. Babylonian Empire... Uh, had it a well-established military. It had its uh, religious system, which was very influential with the people. But the Persians knew how to build roads, and the Persians knew how to trade, and they still do. In fact, if you'll go to the Middle East and you'll look at some of the great trading centers of the Middle East today, for example, if you were to go to the United Arab Emirates and you were to look at the edge of the Persian Gulf and see the great uh, shipping capabilities uh, for example, at Dubai, a very modern port city that juts out into the Persian Gulf at the at its furthest most edge, uh, you would you would see the the vast number of small Persian ships uh, constantly travel that, that constantly travel with their goods across the Indian Ocean and uh, really dominate the seascape there, and uh, because the Persians were great at trade. The Persians were great at highways. Uh, the Persians were great at amplifying uh, their empire economically. And uh, so the British Empire uh, really built upon Persian tradition in that sense. And, uh, of course, uh, built on Roman tradition at that sense. And uh, now I'll advise you, my Christian brother, that if you're trying to educate yourself and if you're trying to educate your children in history, do focus on these empires. Uh, the Bible will give us great direction in education, and we ought to take it. Uh, instead of uh, uh, trying to uh, focus on the myths that are available about so many other uh, uh, so-called histories, uh, focus on the, uh, some clear understanding of the Babylonian Empire, of the Persian Empire, and of the Greek Empire. And I think it, you'll, you'll not only enjoy that study, uh, but it will greatly enrich your study of Bible, especially Bible prophecy. Well, uh, that's my advice. And uh, <clears throat> you'll also enjoy this Bible study more uh, if you look into that. Well, while he's there having this vision, whether he's there in spirit or in person, Having this vision, he said, he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there stood before the river a ram which had two horns, and the two horns were high, but one was higher than the other, and the higher one came up last. And I saw the ram pushing westward and northward and southward, so that no beast might stand before him, neither was there any that could deliver out of his hand, but he did according to his will and became great." And as, as I was considering, behold, a he-goat came from the west on the face of the whole earth and touched not the ground, and the goat had a notable horn between his eyes. And he came to the ram that had the two horns, which I had seen standing before the river, and ran unto him in the fury of his power. Now, now he sees two animals. One is a ram, 
which is a picture of the Persian Empire. The other animal that he said is a goat with a notable horn between his eyes. And, of course, the goat, Aegea, that's the Greek word for goat, uh, that, is the, that is the undeniable symbol of the Greek Empire. And, in fact, uh, uh, here came uh, this goat uh, with a notable horn between his eyes. He came to the ram that had two horns, one larger than the other, and that shows the, the eventual consummate dominance of the Persians over the Medes. It started out with Astyages. Uh, it started out, uh, the, the media Persian Empire started out with the Medes in dominance. Uh, you may wonder who the Medes are. They seem to correspond uh, to the Kurds today uh, in, uh, both, that are in both Persia and Iraq. Uh, but the Elamites, or the Persians, uh, finally get the upper hand, and that's why you see these, these two, uh, uh, this one horn growing higher than the other one, and the higher coming up last. The Medians led that empire at first, and then the Persians came in and led the empire into great prosperity and also into great defeat. Uh, when uh, uh, the Greeks uh, defeated them, uh, both on land and in sea. Well, here's a prophetic time before that happens, and uh, Daniel writes, He came to the ram that had two horns, and I had seen him standing before the river, and ran into him in the fury of his power, and I saw him come closer unto the ram, and he was moved with choler, or that is great rage, against him, and smote the ram, and broke his two horns, and there was no power in the ram to stand before him, but he cast him down to the ground and stamped upon him, and there was none that could deliver the ram out of his hand. And therefore the he-goat waxed very great, and when he was strong, the great horn was broken. That is exactly what happened to Alexander the Great. He was at the peak of his power. He, he, he wept because he had no more worlds to conquer. He wandered off into India. He went up as far as Afghanistan, it appears. He went into the mountains of Afghanistan. And while he was quite young and quite strong, he died. Uh, 33 years old, and um, he had an in, in, incredible, incredibly rapid military force, and the, and his kingdom was very extensive, but he was broken. And then in Daniel 8, 8, in the middle of the verse, it says, And for it came for it, or in its place, in the place of the great horn, came up four notable ones toward the four winds of heaven. Now, that's exactly what happened to the Greek Empire. Uh, Daniel has another prophecy that gives even more details about this, but let me just say that what we have historically, according to the Scriptures, is the Babylonian Empire, the Persian Empire, and the Greek Empire, the Greek Empire breaking into four pieces exactly four pieces. Now, if you'll read the history, you'll see, is it six pieces? Is it four pieces? But it breaks into four pieces. And uh, it broke up into four notable generals, which came, uh, four notable ones here, which correspond to generals in the army of uh, Alexander the Great. And we'll get into more specifics of those later in our study here as we Look at the times of the Gentiles, bringing us up to the time of the Lord Jesus Christ. But this now 
is an important aspect of 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 Gentile world power, and those four the the, the four breakages uh, the four pieces of the Greek Empire need to be looked at and they need to be considered because they remain until the time of the end. And out of one of those empires, out of one of those divisions of the Greek Empire, and I believe it's the Seleucid division, for those of you who might be tracking with me this, out of that quarter, and I say quarter in the sense that it's just one of four pieces, out of that quarter will rise up one, the little horn, which which uh, out of one, it tells us in Daniel 8, verse 9, out of one came forth a little horn, this little horn, the man of sin, this little horn, the same one that we see in Daniel 7, the same one that we see in Daniel 11, the same one who's referenced a, a little more obliquely in Daniel chapter 9, this one who's called the man of sin, the son of perdition, this one will come up at the time of the end out of those four kingdoms uh, that into which the uh, Greek Empire was broken. Now Daniel uh, sees this thing, and uh, he wants to know uh, how long it's going to be till this happens. And uh, it, 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 he tells us in verse 15 of Daniel 8, as it came to pass, when I, Daniel, had seen the vision and sought for the meeting, then behold, there stood before me as the appearance of a man, and I heard a man's voice between the banks of Uli, which called and said, Gabriel, make this man to understand the vision. And so Gabriel is called to make Daniel understand the vision. And he, so he came near where I stood, and when he came, I was afraid and fell upon my face. But he said unto me, Understand, O son of man, for at the time of the end shall be the vision. Of course, he's... He's concerned about the end of that vision. Now, as he was speaking with me, I was in a deep sleep on my face toward the ground, but he touched me and set me upright, and he said, Behold, I'll make thee know what shall be in the last end of the indignation, for at the time of the pointed shall the end be. The ram which thou sawest, having two horns, are the kings of Media and Persia, and the rough goat is the king of Greece." And the great horn that is between his eyes is the first king. That's, that's Alexander the Great. He is the one who unified Greece and became the only one who could be known as the king of Greece. Uh, the Greeks were, in fact, terribly proud of the fact that they were all separate. And uh, his father was the king of Macedon. Philip of Macedon was the king only of Macedon. Uh, also a very strategic place, that place which, dis, which, which divides east and west. Uh, now that being broken, whereas four stood, uh, four stood up for it, four kingdoms shall stand up out of the nation, but not in his power. And so the, here the Bible says there were four kingdoms that stood up out of the Greek empire, or out of, the, out of Alexander's Greek kingdom. And... Uh, these are uh, four generals that led them, uh, uh, Ptolemy, uh, Lysimachus, uh, uh, Cassander, and uh, Seleucus. Uh, and uh, 
this, uh, these four uh, inherited the extent of Alexander's kingdom. The Ptolemaic kingdom, uh, essentially Egypt. The Seleucid kingdom, uh, essentially the area that is marked by Syria, Iran, Iraq, uh, around uh, just uh, uh, the Syria side of the Euphrates River. And uh, uh, Cassander uh, had uh, uh, Macedonia and Greece. Macedonia, that area being of great contest in the First World War and the Second World War. And um, uh, Lysimachus, uh, the area of uh, Mycia and Thrace uh, around the Mediterranean. Well, uh, this uh, prophetically true... In fact, so prophetically true that that those who don't believe the Bible say that it must have been written later because it's too true to be prophetic. Imagine. Now this uh, uh, Gabriel also now tells Daniel, in the latter time of their kingdom, when transgressors are come to the full, a king of fierce countenance and understanding dark sentences shall stand up. His power shall be mighty, but not by his own power, because, of course, he'll be empowered by the prince of the power of the air, by Satan himself, and he shall destroy wonderfully and shall prosper and practice and shall destroy the mighty and the holy people. And through his policy also shall he cause craft to prosper in his hand. That is to say, he'll move on the basis of intrigue. He shall magnify himself in his heart and by peace shall destroy many. And he will stand up against the prince of princes, that is, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, but he will be broken without hand. And then we will see the fulfillment, the final fulfillment of Nebuchadnezzar's uh, image, where the, where the stone uh, carved out without hands uh, breaks his kingdom, beginning with the feet and toes, and demolishes the entire of Gentile world power. And then, and then Gabriel says, "...in the vision of the evening and the morning which is told is true." Wherefore, shut thou up the vision, for it shall be for many days. And, of course, this is a vision hidden from the nation of Israel. This is a vision that cannot be understood except in the context of the New Testament as it has been written. And we shall see that when we look at Daniel, the ninth chapter, also known as the great prophecy of Daniel concerning the 70 weeks. Friend, I hope you're following. I hope you have the energy to listen. Uh, uh, though I'm sprinting through uh, many things that are difficult, we have a more sure word of prophecy here to guide us, and it's able to make us intelligent concerning the times in which we live. We'll be right back in just a moment. So now we come to Daniel 9, and we come to the great prophecy concerning the Messiah, or the great prophecy of the 70 weeks. And I will again refer you, this is BibleStudy.net. If you'll go to our website, I'll refer you to the download that you can do there, where there are prophetic timelines, and these things will help you in your meditation. But they won't replace for you the study of the Scriptures. And now... We find, as we started out in our broadcast today, we find that Daniel tells us in the first year of the reign of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the seed of the Medes, 
This is Astyages, Daniel. Now he's 87. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of the years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. So here he looked at the passage in Jeremiah uh, that would teach him about the 70 years of Israel's uh, desolations, or the, let me put it this way, the desolation of the city Jerusalem. Uh, no doubt uh, uh, he, he's looking uh, at Jeremiah chapter 25, uh, where that uh, is um, spelled out. And uh, these are 70 years. These are the 70 years that uh, of, of, of desolation that God decreed for the 70 Sabbaths, uh, Sabbath years, uh, that Israel did not keep. And so um, God will uh, have his due uh, no matter what. And so they, they never did seem to keep the Sabbath year. They were supposed to let the land lay fallow on the seventh year, the sixth year having uh, uh, double its increase. Um, but they never did. And God gets back all those 70 years together uh, during the desolation of Jerusalem, which began uh, with Nebuchadnezzar. Now, uh, Daniel sees that, and he, and he, he sees that it, this should be accomplished. And it tells us in verse 3 of Daniel 9, And I set my face unto the Lord to seek by prayer and supplication with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed unto the Lord my God and made confession and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love him and to them that keep his commandments, we have sinned. And now he speaks for himself and the entire nation of Israel, the people of Israel that are in captivity, and have committed iniquity and have done wickedly and have rebelled. So they have sinned, that is, they didn't, they didn't live up to the expectations that God gave them. They missed the mark. They have committed iniquity, that is to say, they became lawless. They have done wickedly. That is to say, they took up wickedness beyond even those whom they were to displace and have rebelled. That is to say, they would not turn back to the Lord, but turn to everything else. Even by departing from thy precepts and from thy judgments, neither have we hearkened unto thy servants, the prophets, which spoke in thy name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. It's very interesting, Daniel being a prophet himself and realizing uh, that the children of Israel paid no attention to the prophets, and yet he has been with Gentile kings who listened to him. Uh, what, a, what a shame it brought him into. Uh, Neither have we hearkened to thy servants the prophets, uh, which spake in thy name. O Lord, righteousness belongs unto thee, but unto us confusion of face, as at this day to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to all Israel that are near and that are far off through all the countries whither thou hast driven them because of their trespass, that they have trespassed against thee. O Lord, to us belong, con belongeth confusion of face, to our kings, to our princes, to our fathers, because we have sinned against thee. To our Lord our God belong mercies and forgivenesses, though we have rebelled against him. Neither have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his ways, which he set before us by his servants the prophets. Yea, all Israel has transgressed thy law. 
And so here you see he confesses the sins of his people. And uh, he says, Now therefore, O our, o, uh, our God, hear the prayer of thy servant and his supplication. Cause thy face to shine upon thy sanctuary that is desolate. For the Lord's sake, O my God, incline your ear and hear. And he prays now for the rebuilding of Jerusalem, which he said he would do after 70 years, according to the prophet Jeremiah. And whilst I was speaking, he says, and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation, and informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I am, no, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. At the beginning of thy supplications the commandment came forth, and I am come to show thee, for you are greatly beloved. And here now Daniel receives his testimony. Here he obtained a testimony. He obtained a good report from God. God sends an angel to Daniel and tells him he's greatly beloved. This is this is Daniel called greatly loved, Abraham called the friend of God. Therefore understand the matter and consider the vision. And let me tell you something. When God loves you much, he tells you much. And uh, you want to know how much God loves you? Don't look at your pocketbook. Uh, don't look at your at what the things that you have. Look at what God will show you in the Scripture. This is where God's love can be known. Here, here it says, uh, the angel Gabriel says to Daniel, "You're greatly beloved. Therefore, understand this matter and consider the visions, friends. The true rich, the true riches that God has." are in the scripture. The fake ones, the airsats ones, those are the ones that he tests you with. Those are the ones in your bank account, in your house, in your business, so forth. Those are the fake riches. God will test your faithfulness there, but when you're greatly beloved of God, he will give you the true riches which are found here in the scripture. And what great riches did he give to Daniel? He gave him the great prophecy called Daniel 70 weeks. And it begins with Daniel 9, verse uh, 24. And we'll just read it here. 70 weeks, or literally 70 sevens, or 70 heptomads. 70 sevens are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. So here we find that God has determined 70 sets of seven. That's a, 409, that's a number that encompasses 490. 70 sets of seven upon the, thy people and thy holy city. Remember, his prayer is about the failure of his people, and his burden is about the mountain of God, which is Mount Zion, in Jerusalem. And so his prayer is about Jerusalem and the people, and 77s in answer are given 
for, for, for upon thy people and thy holy city. So these 77s have to do with Jerusalem and the people of God, the nation of Israel. And there are uh, six things that are going to be uh, accomplished during th- that period of time. To finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, reconciliation for iniquity, bring in everlasting righteousness, seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anou- anoint the most holy or the most holy place, or the most holy one, because really the anointing of the most holy place is only involved, really, uh, with the most holy one. But this now specifically has to do with the anointing of the most holy place, which has never since been done. Now, therefore, uh, and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem. Now, this is the beginning point. This is the this is the beginning point. This is the terminus a quo. This is the start of it. From the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince shall be six, uh, 69 weeks, broken into two pieces, seven weeks and three score and two weeks. So there will be... From the top, from the going forth of the commandment to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, will be seventy sevens plus sixty-two sevens. That is sixty-nine sevens. The street shall be built again, and the wall, even in troublous times. And after the sixty-two, following the seven, after the sixty-nine sevens, shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And here's the cutting off of Messiah. Now, this great prophecy of Daniel tells us very specifically that there will be 483 years from the going forth of the commandment to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince is, until Messiah is cut off. So, so here's, here's an amazing uh, precision like a watch. This given to Daniel, Daniel, of course, teaching it to those around him. No wonder the wise men showed up at the time where they saw his star in the east to see the one who was born King of Kings and Lord of Lords. But this 483 years is so precise that it can be measured exactly precisely from the going forth of the commandment to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the Lord Jesus Christ comes into Jerusalem on in his triumphant entry as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and is crucified and rejected by the nation of Israel. And that leaves one seven left. And God in his great mercy, at the time that Israel rejected the Lord Jesus Christ, he shut that clock off. He set Israel aside. He opened up this great dispensation in which we live, the dispensation of the church which is his body, and he will wind his clock back up when when that when his church is uh, finished. When he, when the last person to be added to the body of Christ is added and God calls us home to be with himself, he will fire up that prophetic clock again, and that final seven, that last seven, the 70th seven, will begin, and it will be as precise as clockwork. 
just like this prophecy. Well, we'll read the end of this prophecy, and then that'll take us to the end of the show, and we'll just have to take it up later. But let's read it. It says, After three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come will destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end shall be with a flood. And unto the end of the war, desolations are determined. And then we have the prophetic discussion of the one who's going to rise up, this one that Daniel had seen already in visions. He shall confirm the covenant with the many for one seven. And in the midst of the seven, he'll cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abomination, he shall make it desolate until the consummation that is determined shall be poured out upon the desolate. This is the abomination of desolation spoken of by our Lord Jesus Christ in uh, prophetically future terms in Matthew chapter 24. This has to do with that final seven. It's coming upon the nation of Israel, and uh, it's as certain as the first 69 sevens were. Friends, we have a more sure word of prophecy with, with which we do well to take heed in our hearts and to focus our thoughts.